That was a long way around from the cherished album by Pranatrix, the singer-songwriter from Comox, BC, and it's been a bit of a long way around since we've had uh, Evan Ossington, editor of Alberta Views magazine, on the show to chat about things going on in the province. And uh, he's back, ready for the new year with us here. We're both wearing fresh, uh, crisp shirts, <laughs> I can see now uh, this morning. And, uh, well, welcome to the show, Glad Evan. That detail Thanks, listeners. That's pretty key. Well, I mean, like, it's there's normally, there's normally some coordination that goes on. Uh, sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's unintentional with our, our, um, our, uh, wardrobes. our wardrobes for the day. Um, so, uh, hats off to that. No hats, by the way. Maybe next time we should both wear hats. That is a good idea. Let's do hats. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's we're getting into the cold weather, so um, it could be... I don't think I actually own any hats other than toques, but um, mm-hmm. I can remedy that before your next show. Yeah, it could be sort of a Doug and Bob McKenzie segment. Something along those lines. Bring Why that not? back. So the, the January-February issue, uh, fresh on newsstands now of Alberta Views magazine, has... Um, uh, it, it's got to focus really on um, democracy and, and democracy under threat. And I guess maybe I'll, I'll start by asking, you know, so soon after a provincial election here, why is this sort of the question or the, the issue being um, explored in this issue? Well, I think we've been asking questions about the state of Alberta democracy for quite some time, um, not just us, but you know, many people around Alberta, but certainly us at the magazine as well. Um, and things seem to have taken a pretty dark turn over the last couple of years. And um, I mean, this is, a, this is a, a subject we could look at any given year, but this particular year, I mean, we had something really remarkable happen, and I'm sure your listeners will remember, but there was there were allegations about interference in the judicial system by our premier, which investigation was or, you know investigation was launched, and the ethics commissioner actually had to issue her report during the election, and the report was quite damning. The findings were quite damning. She found that the premier had. Uh, attempted to interfere in the judicial system, which is, uh, you know, an absolute no-no. We wouldn't want anyone doing that. Not our, uh, you know, not someone we support. Not not someone that we oppose. That's that's over the line. Um, of course, I suppose the report was um, seized upon by the premier to say that she'd been exonerated, and by opposition to say that she'd been, um, you know, uh, had done wrong. But uh, I think from an objective outsider's reading it was pretty damning um and this was it seemed to be part of a pattern because this was not the first time a ucp minister had been uh, found to be trying to interfere in the justice system i think you, you might remember casey Maydew before and, and there's been a few other sort of more minor examples and so um this is an alarming trend and so we wanted to look at this report from the ethics commissioner and we decided to zoom in on this recommendation that she made at the end that all MLAs um, take some kind of mandatory, get some kind of mandatory training, not just on how to be an MLA and how to, you know, have an office 
and uh, talk to your constituents and speak to media, but but actually in how government works. And let's not just assume that they all know. Um, let's actually ensure that they know by uh, making sure that um, you know giving them these courses, and then and then, and they would uh, you know continue to take these courses throughout life of their time in the legislature. Um, and let's just not assume that they know these things. Now it is an open question. You know, does someone like Danielle Smith know how the justice system and the government need to be kept separate? Does she understand divisions of power? I mean, surely she must. That's one argument. Surely she must understand that she's been in MLA for a long time. She's been following politics for a long time. She's a very educated person. Um, but does she know and did she ignore it or did she not know? And in either case, greater education for all MLAs uh, is is what the ethics commissioner recommended recommended and so we we asked Jared Wesley to look at that recommendation and to uh you know in his estimation what is it that MLAs are where are they falling short in their understanding of how government works and where are their you know either mistakes or abuses being made and and how might we change that so that's the lead story but then there's a number of other things we were looking at that pertain to democracy including um, the chief medical officer of health, which of course has been uh, something we've all been thinking about for the last couple of years. And what is their role? And, and during the pandemic, it seemed that there was a lot of confusion about their role and, you know, can they make recommendations uh, or not recommendations, sorry, can they make directives that are binding on all citizens? Can, and, and, and is that, is that what we want or should those decisions be made by government exclusively sort of on the rec on the recommendations or on the advice of a chief medical officer of health. So we have a dialogue in this same issue that really looks at that asking the question, should the chief medical officer of health have more independence or, or maybe total independence or, um, you know, from cabinet or should it be the other way around? And, and, and cabinet has the right to make decisions even perhaps uh, over the better uh, judgment of the chief medical officer. So, those are those are at least two of the the major highlights of the issue. And I noticed on that dialogue, you um, took a little bit of a, a a different approach here in in involving um, different people to both respond to like make the initial arguments for and against the independence of a chief medical officer of health, and then have a, a different person respond to either side. Um, can yeah, you, I mean, there's no deeper yeah. meaning behind this. Yeah, normally we would have a dialogue. We would have two people. One person is sort of for something or for a position. Someone is against it. In this case, um, when this was set up, uh, the initial proponents of either side said we would like to uh, work in tandem with a colleague. And I thought, why not? Let's try that. Uh, I don't know. I would. I would. I'll wait for feedback to see if uh, our readers think this is a. Um, you know, just as good as the previous format, or mm -hmm. if it uh, if it if it wasn't as strong, but it's probably not something we're going to do regularly. This was just a unusual um, consideration, I guess, uh, from the the these specific participants in this dialogue. And those are uh, all professors at U of A and U of C. Hakik Varani and Patrick Fifard are the sort of uh, opening arguers and uh, Elaine Hishka and Jared Wesley kind of close their respective positions. Very cool. And I see uh, you have Jared Wesley uh, with a, a separate piece on it's sort of the cover story on the independence, um, the importance of the 
independence of the judicial system and, and touching on uh, that whole incident with uh, the premier um, mm-hmm. interfering and the ruling by the ethics commissioner. I mean, the the points here kind of made or the, the questions raised whether um, even voter knowledge on the understanding of mm-hmm. the importance of the independence of the judicial system, given that this report was released just came out just two weeks before um, Alberta's went, Albertans went to the polls. Um, mm-hmm. is, is that maybe why um, you've actually printed the entire, or I think this is the entire or a section of the report of the ethics commissioner? Yeah, we've printed a, a fairly long excerpt of the commissioner's report in the magazine. Yeah, this is kind of the Jared Wesley is, issue, isn't it? Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I spoke a little bit about this piece earlier, but I think you're making another, uh, you're raising another point that he that he brought up, which is that this looks pretty bad on our premier that that she would have had this uh, this bad judgment or these bad ethics or whatever it was or lack of knowledge about how the system's supposed to work. Looks pretty bad on her. It looks pretty bad on all MLAs as well. I mean, the premier serves at the pleasure of MLAs, including members of her own party. And, you know, MLAs, cabinet ministers have been removed from their positions for far lesser abuses than what Daniel Smith did with Arthur Poslowski. Sorry for mispronouncing his name. Um, and so MLAs, particularly those in her own party, failed to hold her to account the way that even members of the governing party have held the premier to account in the past. And Alison Redford comes to mind most recently, but, um, but also Jason Kenney. I mean, he was, he was run out of power by members of his own caucus, members of his own cabinet, members of his own party. So this is a failure from the premier. This is a failure from her cabinet and from her own caucus to hold her account and from her, her own party supporters. Um, and as you say, it's a, maybe it's a failure of the the public writ large we didn't i don't think enough people maybe appreciate just how egregious was her behavior and how we need to keep the judicial system and the executive branch of government i mean these are the legislative branch i should say um separate and so if uh people who are a few weeks out from an election uh saw this report and it didn't affect their vote that's that's pretty damning or if it didn't uh you know um influence how they saw i mean it it was uh it was thought that a report like this with this kind of damning finding coming out this close to an election would have a a pretty strong impact on the election outcome and it it would appear to not have done so Hmm. or or perhaps perhaps enough to to tip the scales um there's a a paula simons piece in here that i i thought is (laughs) quite timely with um the the potential use of the the notwithstanding clause uh, in Quebec and Saskatchewan to be used, in fact, to undermine um, human rights of uh, minorities. But there's, I guess, a, a unique um, history of what happened here in the province some 20, 25 years ago um, that she shares um, it, it, where the notwithstanding clause was actually used to protect human rights. And that's kind of um, how or why it was uh, included. Can you shed a little bit of light on that? Um, well, Paula is, uh, of course, uh, an independent senator um, from Alberta. And yeah, in her latest column, she looks at the use of the notwithstanding clause in, clause, um, 
in Alberta historically um, and how there was pushback against that and, 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 and argues that that was uh, the right that was the right decision. That was the right uh, response from the public. And then she looks at how today the notwithstanding clause is being used again now in Saskatchewan, but there's some talk in, in Alberta as well. And uh, she has concerns about this sort of um, the, the kind of creep, I guess, of, of this idea that this is uh, something that we should be doing. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's alarming what's happening. And she does a pretty good job kind of laying it all out. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a return of the the citizen action page and 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 some um, some previous features that you had here, including sort of a an Alberta by the numbers um, section. Can you kind of talk about um, what what brought those back to the pages of Alberta Views? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I I don't know if this is you know revealing too much about myself, but you know sometimes I look at the situation in the world, and I think, well, you know, I feel pretty pretty bad about uh, a lot of things and how things seem to be going and what the future seems to hold and, uh, you know, what can I do? And there's this kind of feeling of, uh, I don't know, despair or powerlessness. Uh, but that feeling can be at least, um, you know, challenged, assuaged, defeated maybe by just getting involved in something. And, and I think, you know, many of your listeners will have had that that feeling when you actually do something concrete to try and, you know, make things a little bit better, maybe in your community, in your city, and your, you know, certainly even in your province and country, you have some agency, then you, then you, you don't quite feel as despairing and you feel maybe there is hope for the future. Or maybe we can change things, particularly at the community and the local level. It's really amazing just how much power an individual or a small group of people can even have at the local level. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we see it with take back Alberta at the provincial level. That's not a lot of people. Uh, the amount of uh, influence they've had over the UCP party is quite remarkable. Um, but yeah, the idea is to take concrete action and 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 affect change in the world. And and um, we were doing a firsthand column for a few years. Just you know, someone was talking about something they had done, and the idea was to inspire others to maybe do something similar or to maybe join an organization that they hadn't heard of. But we decided for this year um, and perhaps beyond, we'll see what kind of feedback we get to go with a. Um, I mean, there are so many organizations in this province. I mean, probably thousands of organizations, small organizations, larger larger organizations, and I'm not sure um, how many, you know, how well known they are. And some of these groups are kind of working in isolation. And you think, can we make these groups more aware of each other, or can we make our readers more aware of all these different groups, whether they're working to make the vote fair, or they're working to clean up some aspect of the environment, or they're challenging some an undemocratic law? So. Um, yeah, it's a page. The Citizen Action, the, the redesign is a page of resources uh, designed to give citizens, readers, um, you know, a, a lot of ideas about resources they can, you know, books they could read, organizations they might join, things that they can do um, to to affect positive change. And um, that's one new thing. I mean, it's not entirely new. It's more of a redesign or a new approach. Well, and I feel uh, like... We're we're kind of coming out of a a phase that started, I guess, in the late two thousands, where it sort of felt like getting involved or taking action was kind of all about going online, or yeah. you know, a, a new a new avenue to that was going online and and screaming about something or or sharing some news, and mm-hmm. I think you know, for me too, um, the seeing the collapse of of the 
traditional social media platforms like Facebook and and Twitter, especially for for organizing um, uh, around different issues. Um, it seems like there's a little bit of this like panging for um, some other way or some other, I guess, connection back to um, the community in these groups. So I think you know it comes at a, at a good time. Um, for people to sort of find those new paths back to to engagement um, in their community. No, that's a good point. I mean, uh, what what is what was normal thirty or forty years ago now seems radical. You know, uh, meeting in person with other like minded people and talking about difficult issues and maybe trying to get over some differences between two different people or or you know many different people and trying to find a uh, something you can all agree on, and then to, uh, a course of action you guys can take. Something concrete you can do that might have a, uh, you know, may actually affect real change. I mean, we've moved away from that over the last little while to kind of shouting at each other ineffectively online and polarizing the, you know, the discussion and 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 retreating into ourselves into these hateful little yeah, well, or shouting at, so, at bots yeah, online. I think it's, 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 if this is the trend away from the virtual and the online back into the real and concrete and, and maybe a bit messy, uh, I think that's probably good. Yeah, and uh, and how about a good crossword to to finish it all off? Is this the the first crossword word ever in a, in an Alberta Views magazine? Am I right? Uh, yeah, I'd say it is. Uh, we did a puzzle many, many years ago. We did a puzzle that was a different format called an acrostic. Um, but it, it was good. It was unique. It was very Albertan. Uh, it kind of ran its course. And so we let it, let it sit for a while. And then, you know, so this one's scandal themed. We need a crossword. Who doesn't love a crossword? You know, who doesn't love a good crossword? Yeah. So, uh, and so so I find there, there's lots of, um, uh, clues here are themed around various scandals in Alberta. Is that is that correct? This yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is supposed to be the, the magazine can be. There's a lot of serious content. There's a lot of uh, you know we talk about a lot of problems. We try to talk about solutions as well. We just I just I don't know for the for the crossword. I didn't want it to be a continuation of serious. I thought it, it needs to be on theme, but also um, a little bit lighter, just a little bit of a different tone. And so, yeah, it's about politics and about ethics and about democracy, but we're really highlighting scandal, which a, a lot of the scandals, uh, political scandals in Alberta of late have been, uh, there is a way you can kind of mock them. They've been a bit ludicrous on some levels as well, hmm. uh, as well as egregious. So yeah, that's the idea. So these crossword puzzles will be on theme of the issue, but maybe not quite as uh, serious as some of the other content. Very fun. I hope. I, uh, the, I, yeah, it's testing my knowledge of, um, of, uh, of different things. And, and it's actually amazing too, because um, it, if you think back to issues that happened, uh, you know, two years ago, four years ago, they seem like ancient history. And I think the uh-huh. speed of the new cycle, um, <laughs> I think causes uh our, our memories to be a lot shorter too, so it's kind of funny to to go back and and uh, click with some of these things again. Uh, thanks, Evan, for uh, for joining us today to to chat about the the January February issue. There's definitely a lot to to. I didn't even um, we didn't even get to talk about the Noam Chomsky piece in here. I mean, there's so much um, so much to un, un unpack and read and and um, think about. So um, thank you again for this the scan of the issue. You're welcome. Thanks for, you know, 
taken an interest. Once again, we've been chatting with Evan Austinton. He's the editor of Alberta Views magazine, a, uh, a magazine focused on new perspectives for engaged citizens. You can pick up the January-February 2024 issue on newsstands now, and you can go to albertaviews.ca to find more.